On today's episode, time efficiency and training quality with my good friend, Taryn. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default, become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. If you've been listening to this podcast from day one, um, you've been listening to, you know, 280 odd episodes, sometimes, well, from the start, it was twice a week for, you know, two years. Now it's weekly. And if you thought to yourself, you know what, <clears throat> Brody never sounds sick. <laughs> well, today's the day because after three years of dodging it, I finally caught COVID and yeah, I, um, was planning to record my episode with Taryn. Um, he has some exciting things to talk about, uh, a good topic, but also um, some very handy benefits for you based on what he's been working on, which I'll get to in a second. Um, so I was really excited to have this conversation, but yeah, came down with COVID. Um, so just been resting up, sounding really bad for the last couple of days. Um, feeling a lot better today, actually. But I was thinking of like, do I postpone it? Probably not. I don't need to do too much talking. Let me just um, see how we go. Do I give Taryn a heads up? Probably not. I'll just tell him on the morning. And then the morning of uh, the podcast interview, I woke up, got an email from Taryn saying, hey, mate, just a heads up. I have COVID and still sounding okay. Happy to uh, give this a go just so I'll give you a heads up. And so, uh, yeah, this is a conversation of two blokes who are sick trying to get through an interview. And I tried to reassure him at the start saying, you know what, if both of us sound congested and sick, there's no reference point for the audience to then see what, what healthy sounds like. So maybe it sort of just balances out and sounds okay. So um, granted, when I was chatting to him, I, um, I thought he sounded fine. So uh, don't get put off just yet. Um, I sort of struggled a little bit here and there, but um, had to mute my microphone a couple of times. But we got through and we had a great episode. He has been, um, if you're not familiar with Taryn, he um, has been working on a lot. One being um, Taryn's motive method on social media, on YouTube, uh, his podcast, and his like training platform. Um, the motive method or mymotive.com is the website. And he essentially has been spending a long time, a lot of energy, a lot of resources building out training plans. And he has a really exciting uh, offer at the end. Um, he wants to uh, 
deliver to people this like freemium version. And so if you're interested in training plans, he'll explain exactly what it's like. Um, I think it's brilliant. I think it's a brilliant idea and know you guys would love it. Know that the um, value and what people are looking for, it's, it's, it's a really good fit. So um, in the meantime, we talk about training efficiency and training quality, like just trying to fit things in throughout, the t- throughout your week. Often get questions in uh, the the Q and A episodes of, "Hey Brody, uh, how do I fit in my how am I meant to do my strength sessions, or how am I meant to fit in my long runs if I'm already doing X Y Z?" And then they list a whole bunch of stuff. There's only 24 hours in the day. There's only seven days in the week. How do I fit it all in? So Taryn does a really good job of explaining all that. How you can still get results with um, just being more efficient and improving your training quality. So um, forgive me. If I do sound, well, I'm now currently sounding a bit nasally, um, planning to be 100% better next time. Uh, this episode actually is being released in about five weeks. So um, if you're listening to it now, <laughs> fingers crossed I'm a lot better after four or five weeks. Um, but really wanted to get this out to you and really want to just to hit record and keep this going. Um, so hopefully you enjoy. Uh, it's been two years since you're on our podcast last. So apart from catching COVID, what have you been up to since? <laughs> uh, well, getting through the end of COVID, um, people are actually getting back to racing. I'm showing little glimmers of hope of fitness coming back in. And uh, I can see maybe a future where there might be a race, not a triathlon again, but I maybe dipping my toe into some bike races which was always the thing in triathlon that I was the strongest in. So I'd like to actually see what I could do if I was just concentrating on that. So excellent. Yeah. That's what's been happening lately. Cool. Um, business wise, podcast wise, YouTube, how's that all going? Uh, well, I am a very old person as far as YouTube goes. I remember going to YouTube conferences when I first started my channel and I was 32 And all the kids at the YouTube conference who had these million subscriber channels would look at me and be like, oh, that's really cool that old people are doing YouTube now. (laughs) And now I'm even older. So yeah, still doing YouTube. Um, I am definitely an older statesman in YouTube. But what has taken over most of the time is uh, as a part of my YouTube channel, something that I identified was age group athletes are kind of ignored you think that they are the bulk of the field in every endurance race that's out there but when you look at a lot of the content that's out there a lot of the products that are built it tends to be basically built for either elite athletes or athletes who treat themselves as elite but the vast majority of the field the people that are just doing these races for lifestyle and some challenge and some health and fitness there really isn't a whole lot out there for them so We built an app that is for those nice balanced training plans that people can get in a really good training plan that keeps them motivated, that really does all the best parts of what a one-on-one coach would do with all the personalization and the accountability with the good parts of a template training plan being the cheap cost. And we've been building that for four years. And this is the year that we're actually taking it to market and trying to scale it up and turn it into something. I'm excited for you, mate. That's, that's really cool because I know a lot of people are facing that same dilemma. Do I go with a static sort of training plan or do I, you know, go down the one-on-one 
sort of option and seems like you're, you're covering sort of like the middle ground. Would that be right? Yeah, that's kind of what I found was if you said to basically people right in the middle of the field as far as how seriously they take races, at the end of that serious pendulum are people who are just going to show up to a race and they're going to do whatever they're going to do on the day, don't really care about what the outcome is. On the other end are the people who will always pay for a one-on-one coach because they want to get the most out of themselves that they possibly can. There's probably about 40 to 50% of the field that's right in the middle that isn't in either camp and there aren't a lot of options for them. They don't want to pay $3,000 a year for a one-on-one coach, but they also don't want a cookie cutter template training plan. And we're trying to take the best parts of both and put it into something that's $19.99 a month and people can add unlimited races and it does their workouts and their nutrition and their strength training and everything that, that they need to do to prepare for a race. Man, I think that covers most of my audience, the people that listen to this and like in my Facebook groups and following my blogs and that sort of stuff. I reckon that's, yeah, they, they fit exactly within that particular domain. Um, and when we've been talking over the the past couple of weeks, um, we sort of were umming and ahhing on a topic and sort of gravitated towards this topic about efficiency and training quality. And you had some really interesting um, aspects and um, opinions on it. So um, happy, excited to talk about this today. Let's start with when it comes to training quality, weekly training sort of efficiency. Why should people be focused on that? Why is it so important? Well, really, when you think about anyone that is following any sort of training plan and actually cares about the outcome of a race, whether they are a three, five, eight, ten, or twenty hour a week athlete, they are somebody who wants to get the most out of their training plan. If you said to any athlete out there that was following a training plan and you offered them one that was more effective versus less effective based on every single minute that they put in, every single person would say, well, I want the more effective training plan. I want my hours to count for more. So whether it's somebody who is that time crunched athlete of between three and seven hours a week or somebody with 20 hours a week of availability, we all just want our training plans to work better. And I think that so many of the training methods out there have actually gone away from what you refer to. And I love this analogy of like the big rocks of let's just worry on making room for the big rocks, the big movers in a training plan that make the largest amount of difference and get them really, really correct. Um, Because you can make up for a lot of mistakes with heavy training hours of 10, 15, 20 hour weeks, but that can only last so long. So whether you're time crunched or you have all the time in the world, you still have to get those big rocks right in the first place. And that's what I find a lot of training plans and um, cookie cutter ones, a lot of coaches that tend to be high volume coaches, they just kind of fall back on, we're just going to do a lot. And because we're doing a lot, you're going to get faster, but it's not that they're doing the right things. It's just that they're doing a lot of things. Okay. Right. So maybe we break down those big rocks and then people can sort of, I guess, have a bit of a checklist to see if they're including those in their, their training plans. 
Yeah, so the big rocks that I look at are things that just about every one of your listeners would look at and say, oh, I make room for those big rocks. But what I find is so few people actually do. And when they do make room for those big rocks and get those big rocks absolutely correct, and this is what we obsess about with how we've built our app, is just obsessing about getting those big rocks correct and almost not leaving room for deviation away from it, that's when training really starts to become high quality. So the big rocks that we look at, very basic. Um, Number one, get your training zones absolutely dialed in. The follow-up to that, that most people get incorrect is use them correctly. And we can dive into like what use them correctly is, but a lot of people get training zones roughly correct and then sort of abandon them or might not use them correctly. We work on both very, very heavily. Uh, Second is strength train. I think a lot of your users will probably be past the point of including strength training. I know you are a big believer in strength training, but strength training specifically for endurance sports is very different from what most people do for strength training. They just hear strength training over and over, get sold on it, and then go do bench presses and back squats, thinking that that's what's going to work. I like those movements. I like other ones better for endurance athletes. The next one is getting your nutrition paired with the right workout at the right time. We've talked to exercise physiologists who believe that people can get the effect of, they were talking about triathletes at the time, they can get the effect of a 20-hour training week with a 10-hour training week if they treat their nutrition correctly. And this means getting the nutrition that enhances the effectiveness of a workout for an intense workout. So you have different nutrition for that intense workout than you would for an endurance building workout because physiologically they're looking at creating very, very different responses in the body. So we need different fuel for that response. And that's one that that not a lot of people do. I, I know down in, in Australia and New Zealand, a lot more people are doing that in North America. It's still not really talked about the, the concept of nutrition periodization, but you do really those three things and get the, the training intensity distribution correct. Like we have athletes that just about every single one of them come and start working with us. They say that on average, they train about two hours less per week, but always start improving. Like always, just because we get those big rocks. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. That's correct. Hmm. I want to dive into those training zones that you're talking about because often I see comments on my blogs and things when it comes to training zones that they'll follow say, oh, but my heart rate says I'm in zone two, but I feel like I'm working really hard or vice versa. I feel like it's really easy, but my heart rate monitor thinks that uh, I'm shooting way above in like zone three or zone four, and it seems to be inaccurate. And so for the recreational athlete that doesn't really know these big rocks and how to really dial in, what would your advice be for them? 
Well, speaking about it really, really briefly, the first thing that we want to do with athletes is dial in what is their low intensity training zone, because that's going to be where they spend 70 to 80% of their training time. So that's where they can either do the most improvement or the most damage if they get that right or wrong. And the few things that I see that are often causing problems in that area are uh, number one, not using a strap-based heart rate monitor, whether it's a chest strap or an arm-based strap, you've got to use a strap-based heart rate monitor. Wrist-based heart rate monitors can be 40 to 50 beats off per minute. So that might be where you get your athletes talking about, it feels like I'm working easy, but a heart rate monitor says it's really high. So that's one thing. Uh, second thing is the test that we like to use to determine heart rate training zones is different than what most people use. We use the Carvanen method. And what we're doing with that is we're using everyone's unique physiology. So we will get athletes to wear a heart rate monitor, and this can be a, a wrist-based heart rate monitor for this, um, to bed for about three nights. Take the lowest resting heart rate that you've received over those few nights. That's your resting heart rate. Then go and perform a max heart rate run test where you do a one mile easy warm up, uh, or sorry, two mile easy warm up, one mile fast tempo, and then 400 meters max effort. 400 meters after that, pushing harder every 100 meters. And that's all continuous. By doing that, you're going to push up your heart rate basically to its physiological limit by the end of it. Everyone listening to this who tries that workout is going to hate me for it. It's a very, <laughs> very painful workout. But you're going to, get, after that, you'll have your resting heart rate and your maximum heart rate. Plug it into the Carvanen formula. You can Google that. There's some on our website. It'll pop up on Google if you just Google Carvanen. Uh, with a K running formula, and you'll get your heart rate training zones. And these zones are then dialed into your unique physiology. So if you've got a high resting heart rate and a low max heart rate, it'll account for that. Vice versa, it'll just dial in your unique heart rates and then follow them. So that's, that's a big, big thing. Um, so that's on the low intensity side of things. Uh, we certainly recommend following heart rate for all low intensity training because it will auto adjust if you are a little bit stressed, if you haven't slept well, if you've traveled, or if you're firing on our, all cylinders and you can push a little bit harder, it auto adjusts. All the coaches who say, well, you should really use pace. I tend not to buy into that because pace doesn't adjust. Heart rate does adjust. And, and some coaches treat that as a bug. I treat that as a feature. I think that's a great thing. Gets you the right intensity on every single day, depending on what you're capable of doing. On the other end of it, I really like pace. And this is where you can use any sort of pace calculator. And the fast stuff, I believe, should be done by pace. Because you'll have that pace number for your workouts. And if we're also talking to some triathletes, this would be pace or power, something that is a, a hard, firm metric so that when you start getting tired towards the end of an interval, you've got a number that you can't kid yourself in to push you a little bit harder. And that little bit of push towards the end of an interval or in the final interval is where you really start making the improvements. So those would be, if I'm trying to boil it down to just a few 
key things to get right that I see people taking a little bit of a left turn on, those would be the big things when it comes to getting the training zones correct. Yeah, excellent. Um, I can see what you talk about when you say dialing in because this is really getting focused and deliberate with a lot of the, the practices. So, and very practical takeaways. So people can check that out, the Carvenon, um run formula. That's great. Uh, in terms of like training structure, like everyone has different goals. Let's just use like a marathon as a, as a good example. When it comes to like the training week and improving their efficiency and that sort of thing throughout the week, if they have their busy lives, what's your sort of recommendation in terms of strength training, running, cross training, rest days? Is there a particular like template you like to follow or is it, you know, quite individual? Yeah, it's individual based on what the athlete's availability is and what their goals are. So let's take goals out of the question because that's fairly straightforward. If people want to be a world-class athlete, they're going to have to run more than somebody who just wants to finish. So that's pretty straightforward. But if we start thinking about, well, what can you eke out time for and really what should you try to make time for if you want to show up to a race and let's say you you know you might not finish on the podium of your age group, but you want to be a good version of yourself. You don't want to just show up and let whatever happens happen. Um, the three workouts that I think are the most important are in order. The long run, the intense run, and then the tempo run. If an athlete can carve out another 30 minutes in the day, in the week. I think that extra 30 minutes should be not another run, but strength training. And if we total all of that up for somebody who's a marathoner, you're looking at the intense run and tempo run taking anywhere between about 45 and 90 minutes each. So a maximum of three hours. And then you will have to do some up to three hour three and a half hour roughly runs at a very low intensity on the weekend. But we're talking about peaking at six to seven hours and only having to do that for a few weeks. This is what we do in our plans. And um, this was sort of my belief coming into creating our app, but I didn't want to just put my beliefs on run training plans because I'm from a triathlon background. So we actually enlisted the help of Ryan Hall's run free training uh, company. And his coaches actually wrote training plans that were exactly along these lines. They were so minimal that I went back to them and said, like, are you sure this is all the running people need to do? And yeah, like 95% of the time, if people just want to be a good version of themselves, be healthy, have time for sleep, for rest, for recovery, for their family, for jobs. This is more than enough. Of course, if they want to start competing and moving up, they're going to have to run a little bit more, but it's not immense amounts more. It's like maybe another two 45-minute runs per week that they have to fit in. Nothing crazy. Um, the idea of 100-mile weeks is really solely for those people that are at the very, very pointy end of the field where they don't just need an extra one or two hours a week to make a significant improvement. They need 20, 40, 50 miles additional per week 
to have those incremental improvements above their competitors. Um, we're just not in that situation as age group athletes. We're going up against ourselves. And for us to make an improvement against ourselves really doesn't take that much more than just good, consistent training that is very reasonable for most people to fit in. If there's those three workouts you're talking about, the long run, intense, and tempo run, if you're filling that out and do it, doing those quality sessions as designed, if you have, if a runner has more time available and they love running, they do it for mental health and they, you know, just want to get out and they feel compelled to run, you know, most days of the week. Um, what should that be replaced with? And um, what, what are your thoughts on like rest days? Cause some people say, you know, I need to have one rest day per week. Some people say, no, I don't really need to take rest days per week. So, um, how are we filling out the rest of those, those, how are we filling out the rest of the time if they have that availability? So yeah, if we take it all the way to the other end, how, how our app works is, um, and this is just to give a bit of framework for how people can do it themselves. So they don't have to use our app, but we have a slider that, in the app, you just use your thumb and you drag it from absolute minimal training. That is kind of what I talked about to maximal training. And the difference between the two is not that large actually for half marathon and marathon athletes. So the minimal, but you want to get to the finish line and make sure that you're going to have a decent day. Training plan is what I talked about. Take it all the way to the other end. And we talk about basically maximal training and maximal being for an age group athlete. It's only another two runs a week being about 45 minutes long, very low intensity, kind of low zone two, very conversational, what people might call a, a recovery run. And then the final workout that we would add in is a mobility workout. In our case, we use yoga, but just very mobility focused yoga, not, not like Buddhist temple yoga and very traditional stuff. It's, it's very mobility focused, just getting you moving really well at the end of adding in those workouts. So we're just talking about, uh, what is that? Seven workouts a week, uh, totaling a maximum of about eight hours. Um, when we start asking, you know, do rest days have to happen? I think that that's kind of a personal preference. Um, I find that triathletes, tend to do better without a rest day and having active recovery just because there are so many sports to fit in that you can design rest days so that they're still very recovery focused while allowing the body to continue to move and adapt and, and you just tend to feel better. That higher load will often mean that people kind of get in, into this mode of almost needing to move to feel good and might not actually even feel good after a rest day. They might feel worse. Um, runners, I find, don't tend to have that same issue. So I don't mind an outright rest day. When we look at the training plans that I just talked about being a maximum of about five runs a week, there's going to be two days where you're not running. And I think that that's actually a, a good thing with running to take that little bit of load off the body from um, chronic overuse, which can happen I find easily when you start getting past 50 kilometers a week. And I believe that's what the, the study shows kind of the, the tipping point where you start inviting injuries. 
I love that function of like just having that scale of like you choose how involved you want to be, how much time you have available and like the goals and that sort of thing. I really love that, that tailored aspect. Um, when it comes to the training, I guess, throughout from like the start of the training cycle to like peak to taper and all that sort of stuff. Um, are there any, without a plan, are there kind of mistakes that you see runners make when considering the the phases, the cycles that the runners go through um, off season and um, during season? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. What are, some, what are some of those common mistakes? So focusing strictly on the phases and the cycles and the training intensity distribution over the course of an entire year. What I find is people go way too hard in the off season and the base building season. I once did some work with Cameron Worf, um, who is a professional triathlete. He cycles with team Enios who's a professional cyclist right now. And he talked about how the longer he could delay having to add intervals and structured training into his season, the fitter he would be able to get when race season finally came around and the longer he would be able to hold that fitness when it finally did come around. Interesting. So if, if he could take October, November basically off and do coffee rides and the odd run, very low intensity, and then take... December, January, February, March, all being largely low intensity with the odd interval here or there, maybe once a week where he would do an interval workout, he would all of a sudden have this enormous base of fitness that when he started layering in intensity, his fitness would just skyrocket because he had such a huge base of fitness and then he could hold it for a really long time. What I see happens with the average age grouper is October comes, they have an off season, maybe lasts about eight days. And Mm -hmm. the off season looks basically the same as their regular season. And then they just get back into regular workouts. And this is a big thing that we actually battle. And I don't know if we deal with this the correct way, because every year we have the same issue where our athletes start messaging us in November and December saying, I want to do more. I'm ready. Like I'm excited from the last year can I do more? Can I ramp up the effort? And we always have to say, just hold back, hold back. This is the time that you're building the foundation from which you can build fitness on. None of them are saying that now because the intensity is right up there, but all of a sudden our athletes are able to withstand that intensity and absorb it because they have this big foundation of fitness. So the, the broad 25,000 foot view that I see from athletes is And this is runners, triathletes, cyclists. They all kind of look at, all right, today is Thursday. I want to do a good workout. So they just do something that feels hard. So they add in a bunch of random intervals and maybe they they believe that they have some structure to it. But those intervals aren't based on what they did last week or the week prior to that or what's coming next week or how far away from their workout their race they are. And really what you need to do is start looking at a lot of low intensity, build that foundation from October to February, 
then gradually start building in some very intense intervals with big rest, giving you that nice pop in the top end speed, and then make those intervals long and make the rest intervals shorter, and then gradually continue that sequentially week by week by week until the race comes around. And by that time, you've got a really solid base of aerobic fitness. You've got a really strong top end and you've extended that top end longer and longer and longer. And that's how you get to the race and do really well, not by just doing a hard workout every day. And it's mm. that hard workout every day mentality that I think holds a lot of people back. Yeah. A lot of runners are so compelled to just run further, run faster, just like make their decisions on the day based on how they feel. And, you know, they just don't have that. If they don't give themselves guidelines, a plan, restrictions, they're just going to run themselves until they're injured. And then, you know, that's why running related injuries are so common these days. And when someone is injured, why it's so hard for them to sort of really overcome that injury. Cause as soon as they feel better, as soon as they have one good week, they ramp up their mileage way too much and it comes back. And uh, I kind of think of it as like the longer they've had the injury, the more this, it sort of just like creates tension. It's sort of like they're pulling this, this rubber band and the, the longer they've had it for, it just creates more and more and more tension. Then as soon as they feel good, that band snaps and like, yes, I'm back. And then they just like run way too fast, way too far, double their mileage. And then it comes back. And so they're stuck in this, uh, they're stuck in this loop if they don't have that structure in place. And when I'm talking with, when I'm working with my injured runners all the time and they have these really good weeks, they say, all right, now I'm ready to increase my mileage. I say, well, this plan, this really slow gradual plan got us here in the first place. Let's continue this plan to then continue like, you know, seeing those results. Let's turn those two good weeks into four good weeks. And like, you know, this all comes with having structure and a lot of runners would come to me and say, you know what, I just need a plan or you know what, I just need guidelines. I just, I know that I need some accountability or some guidelines just because I don't trust myself because I'll get out there, I'll feel really good and I'll just run too far, too fast, do too many hills and those sorts of things. So um, one of those reasons why, one of many reasons why plans such as the ones on your app would be so beneficial to, to people. Yeah, the the instance that you're talking about, I just had a couple of weeks ago with one of our athletes who uh, actually started in our app injured, um, full of piss and vinegar off of a great year, but <laughs> got injured last year and then decided that he was going to come to our app. Basically couldn't do anything for about four months. At the same time, I couldn't do a whole lot of running towards the end of last year because I had a surgery in December that I came back from, started building up in January. And here it is, we're recording this in mid-April. And he messaged me right at the beginning of April and he said, hey, I'm cleared to run. Look at what I did. And he went out and did a 40-minute steady run, kind of in zone three, like as his first <laughs> run out. And he said, what do you think? And I said, well, I did run walk myself for six weeks after taking three weeks off for a surgery. <laughs> and here I am mid April and I still have yet to do a hard interval. I've done some tempo runs barely fast. 
and it's taken me three and a half months to get there. So I said, like dial yourself back. So yeah, mm. that structured tempo of, or that structured training plan, really, really critical. Like we, we've all got to be saved from ourselves because motivation is not our downfall. We're all a bunch of David Goggins's that are all just yeah. wanting to be told that we can go and do more anytime. I tell you any professional triathlon or run training camp that I've ever been to, to cover it and speak with the coaches, the coaches say that their entire job is holding athletes back. It's not motivating them. Yeah, exactly. Um, just out of curiosity, would you be able to give some examples of those intense runs that, that you mentioned in the, in the three sort of, um, different training runs per week? Yeah. So our, well, I can give you examples of, of all of them because it's fairly simple. Uh, long runs tend to be in zone two based off of heart rate. In the last three months before a work uh, a race, we'll start adding in at the end of those long runs um, intervals that are at and above race pace to teach people how to run at and above race pace on tired legs. The intense run will start off with very short intervals being about... 30 seconds to two minutes um, with a about a, a one to four work to rest ratio. And as the season gets closer and closer to a race, it'll grow to six to eight minute intervals at more of a four to one work to rest ratio. So gradually we're making that interval that is work-based longer and the rest shorter. Um, those, depending on how long the interval is, it'll be somewhere in zone four or five. And we use pace for those intervals. Uh, the tempo-based intervals, they will start January, February at around four to eight minutes. And they'll gradually extend longer and longer all the way up to 30 to 60 minutes of continuous tempo-based running at top of zone three, bottom of zone four kind of thing. Um, yeah. And that, that's how we would structure it. It's basically, it's really sequential week by week. Um, I mean, one of the things that we do here from our athletes is that the, the training can be a little bit monotonous. I think good training is monotonous because this week has to build on what you did last week, which has to build on what you did the week prior, which has to build on what you did the week prior. And that's how you get an upward trajectory in your capabilities. You don't get that by bouncing around to really air quotes, interesting workouts that keep you entertained. That's something you do for entertainment, not for performance. If you want an interesting workout that has all kinds of variables in it that bounce around all over the place. Yeah. And from a physio perspective, it's like consistency. Um, predictability is like what's going to minimize the risk of exceeding the capacity of certain tissues and things. If yes, variety is good for, you know, adapting to different environments. But if you go from doing a 5k flat run at a certain pace, then do a 5k hilly run at variable paces, um, you know, the hills depend on the amount of incline, depends on how like fast you go up that hill, depends on like the terrain of that hill, like all these like individual variables just add an extra layer of complexity that, you know, can or might exceed the capacity of certain tissues. But if you had that complex hills and you run those complex hills once a week, every single week, then we know you can adapt to that. There's that consistency. So um, to your point about the monotonous structure, 
sometimes good to keep those variables like honed in and know that you can tolerate those variables, then sprinkle in a little bit more added um, volume or, you know, mileage or that sort of thing to know that you're being progressive with it. But yeah, as a physio, I do love that consistency. Yeah. And hopefully what I find with athletes is instead of being entertained by the amount of intervals or the variability of the work, the intervals that are in the workout, they get entertained by the progress that happens from those mm. regular intervals. Um, that, and that's speaking just to myself. I always found it very encouraging when I would see a workout and go, wow, I don't know if I can do that. It's kind of similar to what I did last week, but this is a bit of a stretch. And then getting that endorphin rush of, holy smokes, I did it. That was what entertained me, even though it was largely the same structure week by week by week, just gradually building. Um, so yeah, it's just getting entertained by a different thing. Yeah. I'm excited for the listeners to be introduced to this app. So uh, where can people like learn about it, find about it, like work out the features? Uh, where can they go? They can go to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com. And by the time that people listen to this, we are going to have actually a free version of the app, like a forever free price wow. tier where people can get a good training plan. Uh, it's for those athletes that want to just train for one race at a time. And they just want a good training plan that isn't cookie cutter off the shelf, um, not motivating at all. If people want to come and get a good training plan that is personalized to them, that keeps them motivated, that even at the same time offers discounts as they're training um, to some of our partners, um, they can come and get a, a free forever training plan with our app um, and try it out. Excellent. Yeah. I think that's a great idea because a lot of times with these, if someone's never done that sort of thing before, I think even just getting a free sample or like just, you know, dipping the toes into in the water of like what it actually is, what's involved. And then if they love it, um, you know, they can then start exploring other, other features and other things that they want to do with it. So I think that's a great idea. So, yeah. um, yeah, I thought so. You... Thank you. <laughs> yes. Great <laughs> business decision. <laughs> so if they go to the, my motive, uh, website, is there just like a clear sort of, um, button or like, you know, where to get many buttons. To that free things? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Many, many buttons. Yeah. They just <laughs> sign up and the sign up process will take them through. Uh, we've timed it takes about 73 seconds for Ooh. the average person to go through. And during the sign-up process, we're asking, what are your current capabilities? What are your goals? What is your time availability? Um, what are some of your physiological parameters? Really basic stuff that people can answer really quickly. But as they're filling that out, we're building a personalized training plan for them. And then as they get in to the app, they can go and start using it. Um, if they indicate that they want to start training right away, they'll start getting their workouts right away and they can start using that for free. All right. Brilliant. Um, and it's been two years since you're on here last and the podcast size has grown substantially since then. So for those who aren't familiar, uh, what other social media, um, things should they follow if they want to know more about you and the content that you put out there, where can they go? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm less and less the face of, of uh, our YouTube videos and podcast, um, because like I say, I'm getting old. I have some <laughs> little bit of grays in my beard, which I see from you uh, as yes. well. 
Um, so yeah, all of our, our training methods that we talk about are on the Terran's Motive Method YouTube channel, um, our Terran's Motive Method podcast. Uh, I have four books published on Amazon under Triathlon Terran, and we're probably at around 50 to 70 or so blog posts that we're starting to put up on mymotive.com. So basically anywhere that people want to get free content, they can. Our entire goal with motive and what we've we've been building is to make it easy for people to get access to really good training that's distilled for the average person, as opposed to learning what do the pros do and therefore what should we do? It doesn't really work that way. It, it works more the other way. You have to start from being an average person who wants to accomplish something that's well beyond average. And how do you get over all of those hurdles that we all have to go through of learning to run and avoiding injury and, and balancing training? So whether it's visual and you absorb things on YouTube or audio through podcasts or books, we want to make sure that there are ways that people can consume things and not have it cost them anything. Excellent. Well, I always love your mindset when it comes to training. I always love um, that you're focusing on evidence, but also like the everyday athlete and what they need and the the problems and issues that they, they come up with. And we've just had a couple of of those pop up today in our conversation, you know, you really have an in-depth like um, understanding of like the, the trials that they're going through. So thanks for putting out this content. Thanks for putting out the app as well. It's going to be extremely useful to a lot of people. And yeah, thanks for coming on and sharing all this wisdom today. Thanks Brody. It's mutual admiration. You do such <laughs> great work that it's an honor to be on the podcast here with you and people should come. And if they want to hear more Brody, they can listen to him on our podcast. You've been on three times now. You're, yeah, so you're a very popular guest. <laughs> well, they can probably just search um, the title of your podcast and type in Brody Sharp, and I guess those episodes will pop up. So people can go check those out. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Brody. Thank you. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.